Hello? I can hear you loud and clear this time out. All right. All right. <laughs> Van Vanglory is back in the site. <laughs> so we already talked about this earlier. We would just have some fun with this show. We were talking about um, greatest role players of all time. Or at least the top 10 greatest role players. Okay. I mean, off the top of my head. Sure. I mean, I have Mario Ellie. Michael Cooper. I think maybe you put Vinnie Johnson. That's a good list. Danny, Dan, Danny Ainge. Um, you know what a guy that I just thought of too? What about Who's Cliff, Rob- Cliff Robinson of the Portland Trailblazers? I like Cliff Robinson. The only reason I didn't put Cliff on the list is I don't think he ever won a title. Absolutely. So at least at least on my list, the rule is you gotta have won a title, at least two titles, to crack, you know, my greatest role players of all time. Because anybody can have one good year, but to do it multiple times, you was a, you were, you was a serious contributor. You were a big part of that machine. Um, okay, that 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 case then um, scratch him. Um, Don Sally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To be fair, everybody out there, John Sally was a major role player on the Bad Boy Pistons. Played in three NBA Finals. Helped them win two. So sure, he could he could be a, he could be on the list for sure. Um, and not to mention, he also won three more rings, or he stole three more rings sitting on the pine. But they can't. Kind of, you, know. you know, even though uh, I don't particularly like this guy, you got to put Robert Horry there. Yeah, nope. I actually have I actually have Robert Horry at the top of my list. I the only reason he's number one. Is because of the seven championships. I it's funny because when I was thinking about greatest role players of all time, it it just hit me today, a guy that it's so recent, we don't even we don't, our minds don't even work that way. But Andre Iguodala's gotta be in the top ten. I actually have him number two, even though there's guys who have more titles. He is the only role player that I know of that's been a finals MVP. Yeah. That's unique. He's helped Golden State to four NBA Finals. They've won three, and he's been a Finals MVP. So I've got him number two. I've got D. Fish. I've got Ron Harper, Steve Kerr, Mario Ellie. I got Bruce Bowen, Danny Ainge, and last I had Shane Battier. And I, I want to give a shout out to somebody like Bobby Jones, who was a great player, eight-time All NBA First Team defense. Um, it was part of that Sixer team, that 83 Sixer team, but he only won one championship, so he didn't quite crack my list, but he was a great role player. Yeah. I was actually looking at some of these guys' numbers, and I didn't even know that Derek Fisher had made 231 playoff three-pointers. That's crazy. Man, he hit a dagger, man, and um, 
231 and he shot 40%. And one of them, you know, a couple of a couple of um times he hit the important threes with the one in San Antonio. Um, yeah, that one is that one in San Antonio. I remember, man, my spirits was down. I like, well, we're done, and and he and that stuff went in. Man, I was on a high the rest of the night. And didn't he hit one and um hit a, a good one? Um, one of the game winners in Orlando, I think. He hit a dagger when they were down in that game five. And I think he hit a dagger to tie it up. Then he hit another one to go ahead. I mean, D- Derek Fisher's hit a lot of big threes. Maybe he hasn't hit as many game winners as other people, but he's hit some major daggers. There might be better shooters in terms of making big shots. He He's right there. Yeah. Um, uh-uh. What about um? What about Sam Cassell? Wasn't he a good role player? But you know, didn't he kind of like was a role player? Then he started, so maybe he doesn't fit the criteria. Well, I think early in his career, remember he was like a rookie in those Rockets teams that won titles, but he stood out because the truth is. Cassell played better than Kenny Smith did in both of those series. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is unique because he was kind of like a rotation player, stood out as a rookie, and then his career slowly elevated to where he became an all-star, right? So he's 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 unique. I'm not sure he's a role. That's a tough one um, because he was a role player for part of his career. So that's a tough one. I, I, I mean, I thought Sam Cassell early in his career was clutch. To be so young and make all those big shots, he was impressive. I like Michael Cooper as a role player. Uh, Cooper's like Bobby Jones, made All NBA defense eight times. Um, he also was top five in three different seasons. So, I mean, there there are some really talented three uh, role players over the years that people sleep on. I, I like that you threw Ainge in there. Look, a lot of people weren't big fans of Danny Ainge, but just if you're a fan of the game, he was a terrific role player. I mean, yeah. you might have hated the Celtics, you might have hated Danny Ainge, but that guy could play. That guy could play the game, and he could get under your skin while doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I saw some people suggest Le- I'm, he wasn't a star, but I think he was more than a role player. I don't consider Lamar Odom a role player in the Lakers. I mean, he he was six men of the year. He almost won it twice, but I know he won it once for sure. I'm not cons- I mean, AC Green is more of a role player than Lamar Odom. Yeah. You, may- you know what? AC Green should get audible consideration. He was a- he was a really good role player. Him and his Jerry Curl for over a decade, I think. And um, I know that you, you know, I kind of like hinted is um Dennis Rodman like the. Like a, a great role role player, but then you say he's you know he is kind of um, special. He's unique. He's a unique complimentary star. So no one debates that Dennis Rodman was a star, but at the same time, if you know anything about the game, you know he was a complimentary star. It's not like like I said, you, you're not going down going. We need to get the ball to Dennis and get some baskets because 
those will be wasted offensive possessions. He was a specialist, terrific defender. Early in his career, could guard every position on the floor at an elite level and was a terrific rebounder. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say this. On those Pistons teams, he was a, he was a role player. He, he, he actually – I think Dennis Rodman had like two careers. He was a role player on those championship Pistons teams. And I think once he had established himself as a star – after the Pistons had disbanded, and he, I think he spent like a season in San Antonio. Then he went to the Bulls. He he was he was a star, but again, a complimentary star. So he could actually be um, in on anybody's role players um, top ten because at, at at one point in his career, at least four or five years of his career, he was a role player. I think Ron. I think Ron Harper is unique because Ron Harper, early in his career, was like a primary scorer for the Cavaliers. Then the injuries kind of like took away his athleticism, his quickness, and he reinvented himself with the Bulls as a defender and and as a point guard. And I thought that that makes him unique. You know, but you know, it's so funny though when you come to think about it. Don't the Chicago Bulls had a bunch of roles? Like a bunch of good role players. Don't ever say that. Like we would say, John, Gordon John, is, Pat. To some people, Pat. they were stars. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were loaded, man. Man, you know how many people would kill to play with John Paxson and Judd Bushler? Great. <laughs> <laughs> we all we 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 all want. We all want to play with Cliff. Cliff, um, not Lev. Was it Levingston? Yeah, it was Cliff Levingston, Scott Williams, Jason Caffey, man, Randy Brown. It's like the Globetrotters out there. <laughs> and this would kind of make you know. Now the city is thinking about it. Could Michael? Could could Michael? You know. Could Michael Jordan um, could coexist with a super team? I just thought of, you, I just thought of you know. Could Jordan play with the current Warriors? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. Look, if, if Durant can do it, and I'm not saying look, Durant because Durant is a superstar. Look, I think Jordan is all about winning. Could could he? And remember. In this current NBA, the pace is faster. It's sped up. There's more possessions because of the three. So I don't think Jordan would have to sacrifice. He would necessarily sacrifice scoring 28 points a game or whatever. And it's not like, not like Steph or Clay would say anything to him. So he, him and Dre might, might butt heads a little bit, but could he play with them? Sure. I don't think nothing would change. The only difference is. If Jordan was in Durant's place, then they would have swept Cleveland two years in a row, not just last year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't. Look, I could, could a truly great transcendent player play with other star players. Jordan could do it. LeBron could do it. I think Magic Johnson can do it. So, and, and Kareem is different because, of course, he could do it. But in this era where it's more like it's more small ball, it would be different. But yeah, I, I don't doubt he could do it. The question would be, would would he already be a member of Golden State, and then they kind of like just develop those guys? Because 
I don't think Michael Jordan would come to Golden State from Chicago. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think he would want to. And, I, and I'm not saying this to bring up the whole what Durant decided so people can bag on Durant again. I'm just simply saying if Michael Jordan was on the Bulls and the Warriors came out of nowhere and like won a title and became like the champion, I don't think he would turn around and go, man, those guys are the champions or whatever, and I think I need to go there. I, I think his mission in life would be able to beat them and, yeah. and regain the crown. And not not just beat them once, but like beat them to the point where they that he would beat them to the point where he would let them know y'all are not winning anymore. So I, I think that would be his mission. Would I love to see that? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't love to see that kind of fantasy matchup, Jordan and his crew versus the current version of Golden State. But that's a really interesting question. Would he fit? I, I don't doubt I don't doubt that he would fit, but I will wonder I'd wonder how it came to be because what I do doubt is he would not go to Golden State as a free agent. Mm-hmm. But he also wouldn't call up Durant and ask him what he thinks about joining the Lakers. So everybody's different. <laughs> just putting it out there. I'm just, I'm just being real. You know what I mean? Like everybody's different. This is different era. Everybody's buddies and stuff. So when you listen to like a pundit like Colin Cowherd say, man, look, look at Michael and how come he didn't have any friends from the era he played in? He didn't hang out with Magic and Bird and guys like that. That's because they weren't friends. He didn't. Ha- he doesn't hang out with them because they're not friends. They might respect each other, but they were never boys. They were enemies. Just like um, do Kobe Bryant have friends? Only in his mind. Great player, and I'm sure he has friends but if 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 I was going to guess because he's kind of a different dude most of Kobe's friends are probably outside of basketball right boys with like soccer players and shit you know yeah I I pick Kobe's friends is Derek Fisher his accountant (laughs) and um and 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 bears but that's another. That's another. But that's wow. another. Topic. Wow! Dude. I'm not doing that. But <laughs> <laughs> look, cer- certain guys put themselves out there, and maybe they're just more personable people. I think guys like Kobe and Jordan, they would rather beat you than go back and forth with you and be friends. You know what I'm saying? Like. If you're talking about friendship over W's, I think they would take W's. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just I think, think they went the way they are. I don't think they're the kind of guys that are concerned with um, how popular I am or how well-liked I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but look at Le- Le- LeBron is different. He's of this era. He, he He's personable. He's on social media. He puts himself out there like that. And if you listen to Cal Hurd, he's a good hang. So it, it's a different <laughs> era. And Well, hey, he went to Summer League, man. He went to Summer League. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know what that gets to do with the discussion, but he said he went to Summer League. 
No, it's just a different era. These, a lot of these guys come up in AAU and different and different kind of um, summer summer leagues, and they they know each other. They know each other since they were like in junior high or even grade school in some cases. So they all they're all they're not all friends, but a lot of them are friend like because they came up together. And and these and these type of um, and it seemed like. This era of basketball is that they don't really want. I'm not saying they don't want the challenge, but given given choices, they would take the more easier path to a title. I, I think because of social media and how, how much emphasis is put on winning. And don't get me wrong, winning titles is always important. And that ultimately the goal is to be the best to win titles, but because social media is out there and there are so many, never mind the professional pundits or the professional critics, but now fans have more of a voice ever than before when you're talking about Twitter and Facebook and other outlets like that. So I think guys feel the, feel the pressure to win. And back in the day when you would have been like, all right, I've been on this team for eight years, you know, throw more players around here, draft better, put better people around me. That used to be the model. Now guys are like, all right, I'm in year seven, and we haven't won yet. I don't have time to wait for y'all to get it right by year 10. Guys feel that pressure. It's ticking. They bounce. They start teaming up. That's what happened with LeBron. That's what happened with Grant. And even earlier, if you go back to how the Celtics were put together, Pierce, they were all 30 at the time, 30, 31. I mean, they weren't really young when they got together, but – they were they were excited to get together because they were all they all kind of lived with that reputation of not coming up big in the playoffs, not being able to win at all. They felt that pressure, um, and I think mm-hmm. that pressure that much stronger now. Got uh, look, look at what Steph and, and Golden State has done by going to four title or four championships and winning three out of the last four championships. Steph has three titles. He's got as many titles as LeBron has in less time. And and by no means am I saying Steph Curry is the equal of LeBron James as a basketball player, but I am saying the in the big picture, his success, on court success, is the equal of LeBron James. Yeah. And there's no sign just yet that Steph's done. Steph may end up winning, let's say at a at a, at a minimum, Steph's going to win at least four titles, maybe at least four. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Four, but I'll say they might have one more in them. They might have one more in them. So I think LeBron, while people say LeBron went to the Lakers to rest and relax and coast, I totally disagree with that. I, I think that he's going to try to get them into the playoffs, get on a nice run, and then gear up for year two and try to be title contender. Yeah. If he doesn't win, I can't speak to everybody, but just someone as a fan of the game and someone that looks at the overall discussion about these iconic players, if Let's say he goes to the Lakers and they have a run like the Clippers had when they had Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan, and they win 55, 60 games for three or four years in a row, but they don't win any titles. That would be a failure. You think think his legacy take a hit? Well, I think his legacy is kind of unique in that if you weren't a big fan of his and you didn't think he was the GOAT or had any right to make that claim, 
then your beliefs are going to be reinforced. But if you think he is in that conversation, or maybe you might think he's already that guy, you're going to say, well, look what he did. The Lakers had made the playoffs in four years, and he made them relevant. They won 50-plus games, which is, which, is the truth, which is a true statement. But no iconic player goes anywhere with the plan to make the playoffs and get knocked out. That's, that's never the plan. But while that'll look good on paper that he turned the Lakers around and made them winners, if they don't win a title and you're trying to be in that conversation or even be on top of that conversation, anything other than some kind of title is a failure. Mm-hmm. And I'm a Laker fan. Let me put it out there for all the listeners. I'm a diehard Laker fan. So if this isn't one of those things where you're trying to, you don't want LeBron to succeed. Well, if I want the Lakers to do well win other titles in the near future, I need LeBron to succeed. I need those young players to continue to develop, and I need the Lakers to win titles. At least one, at least one title. Look, I think I know some people are like, well, he's got to win two or three. Look, if he wins a title on a team that hasn't won a title since – the Lakers' last title, 2010? 2010. Mm-hmm. 20, I think it was 2010. Um, that's eight years. Not to mention, they haven't won. They haven't been in the playoffs in a minute. So if he can come here and he can win one title in a three-year span, that's, that's a victory. That's, that's another feather in his cap. That's something he can put on his resume and go, you know, slap down the dominoes. That's big. And it, it, it's even bigger if he can pull that feat off with just the young talent he has, say Ingram or Kuzma, or both developing to star-like players. That would be even more impressive because that would be that would be a, that that would actually raise the bar about what type of leader he is. Yeah. Because I haven't I haven't actually ever seen him develop young players or help develop young players. For, for most of his run, he's always surrounded himself with veteran players. Which is not a coincidence why he went ahead to try to balance it out and they got Rondo and they got Stevenson and they got Beasley and they got JaVale McGee. They wanted more veteran presence, a more veteran presence on the Lakers. And I get that. But yeah, I, look. In a perfect world for a Laker fan, the guy's there three years, we win three titles. In a realistic world as a Laker fan, we're not only relevant this year, we win a series, maybe two series, and make a nice run. And then next season, we're able to pull off a big free agent acquisition and bring in a guy like Clay Thompson, and we make a title run. I know a lot of people are high on Kawhi Leonard coming to the Lakers. But I'm of the opinion that Clay Thompson might be a better fit. Yeah. This is something that, I don't know. This is something about Kawhi, man. He is just how he handling things. It's kind of I kind of soured on him, man. It seems like a lot of people have. I can't really sour on him because I don't I don't know the details of his situation. Only that. He felt the Spurs misdiagnosed him. He got second and third opinions. And 
the Spurs medical staff say one thing, his his people say another thing, and they're kind of, they they got at an impasse. And then you know, with the comments made by Ginobili and Parker and Bowen and others, I mean that kind of was it for him. So I'm I'm not sure he handled it the best way, but I'm also not sure that I would call him a villain in this. I would just say that they parted ways in an ugly fashion. What what I'm most interested in is what type of player he'll be with the Raptors. Because the, the assumption is the Raptors made an upgrade by getting him and that with him, they're going to be no worse than, a, than the second seed in the East. Mm-hmm. And on paper, I can understand why you feel like that. I just things rarely play out like they're supposed to on paper. And if you want to tell me he's a better shooter than DeMar DeRozan, he is. You want to tell me he's a greater defender is not even a question. He's a great defender. DeMar DeRozan can be average at best on the defensive end. You want to tell me he's mentally tougher than DeRozan? Probably. But he's not better off the dribble with the strength of DeRozan. He has the ability to break you down off the bounce. That's not – Kawhi's gotten better at that, but he's not. he doesn't really have one of those kind of handles where he can just shake you – and break you down off the dribble. So it's going to be interesting to see how effective he can be with Kyle Lowry, with Ibaka, and the rest of that crew. Let me ask you this. You're a Knicks fan. You look at the state of the Eastern Conference right now. Not reaching in terms of what the Knicks will be, but when you look at the East, if you had to project Who's going to be the number one seed, the number two seed, and the number three seed? Who would be your choices? Uh, I kind of get the edge to Boston. I'll say Toronto number two. Okay. I got Boston one, Toronto two, but I, I can I can still see a scenario that um maybe Toronto will be Toronto will be one, and Boston two. Um. Look, chemistry is not a granite thing. On paper, the Celtics should be the clear favorites to win the East when you're talking about adding a healthy Kyrie, healthy Gordon Hayward to that crew that went to the conference finals last year. My concern would be in the big picture, though, with that much depth, with that much talent, are you going to be able to find enough minutes for everybody and keep everybody happy? There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys on Boston. They like to shoot. Not enough basketballs. You got you got Kyrie. He likes to score. You got Jalen Brown. He likes to shoot. I guess Gordon Haywood. He likes to shoot. Don't you leave know, out he, Jason, Jason Tatum. That, I mean, at the at the end of the day, um, isn't Jason Tatum the um, the guy that you kind of want to build around? Yeah, look, I think in a perfect world, they would love to build around Tatum, 
maybe Kyrie and one other person. Not to say that Al Horford isn't important, but Al's 31, going to be 32. I think Al's part of your present. I don't think Al's part of your future. And yeah, because I don't. I think um, after this year, I don't think Al will be on the team next year. After this no. year, and I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm at least fifty percent sure Kyrie won't be either. Don't I wouldn't be surprised if he's not traded by the by the trading deadline. Yeah, I think Angel's going to try to play it out, but no matter how good a start they get off to and success they have, if he doesn't get even a verbal commitment for like Kyrie in some kind of way or form, he, he's going to have to explore trade options because if you know and I know, if Kyrie reaches free agency and he's free and clear and can decide where he wants to go and not have to like uh, depend on a, a trade or anything, he's not coming back to Boston. Mm-mm. And it's not anything against the Celtics. It's just that he never really wanted to go to the Celtics to begin with. He was grateful to get out of Cleveland, but it wasn't like Boston was his first choice. And while I, I think he, he likes playing in Boston, I'm not 100% sure he enjoyed playing in Brad Stevens' system because Brad Stevens' system is more of a walk-it-up, half-court, kind of grind-it-out style of offense and Kyrie thrives better when he's able to be in attack mode from the jump. Mm-hmm. Not, not to mention, just from a salary cap standpoint, Angel's got to make some tough decisions. Yes, you still have Jalen Brown on his rookie deal, but he won't be after next season, and Tatum will be on his rookie deal, but you just paid Marcus Smart a deal that pays him like $17 million a year, and he's a sixth or seventh man. You're gonna to have to pay mm-hmm. Rozier or move Rozier. You're, you have you can't pay everybody. And Kyrie, right from the jump, is a max player. Al yeah. Horford's not a player, but he makes damn near the max. You're gonna to have to move some pieces. So this team that we look at on paper, I don't think is gonna be the same team that Boston carries into the playoffs next year. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I mean, with that said, after you see them two teams, you got to really sit back and think who the rest of the East is going to be. I said, um, maybe we look at Indiana at three. I think I've got Philly at three. Indiana at four. I, I, I think Philly's gonna. Be- I'm kind of. I I I think Philly going to take a little step back, man. You're not, you're not sold on the process, huh? You don't trust it. No, I'm not. Look, I I I'm only. Basketball is a star-driven league. It's a talent and a star-driven league. If you want to tell me Philly could potentially take a step backwards, maybe. But when I look at when I look at B and B, he's still he's still a rising player. I don't even think he's as good as he could be. If Embiid has a weakness, it's just that you don't know how healthy he can stay. 
But talent-wise, mm-hmm. he's still an efficient player. We know that Texas can play, but for Philly to take a big step forward and not take a step back, he's got to develop some type of mid-range jump shot. Mm-hmm. He, have, I mean, he don't have to shoot like Steph or be lights out, but he's got to develop at least a mid-range where teams have to respect it. And maybe the biggest question mark, obviously, is what what you're going to get from Markel Folk in year two. I've never seen anything uh, like that before. That is the weirdest rookie season in NBA history. I mean, it's obviously that you know that that's uh, I don't know something is just in his head. I mean, you just can't lose. You know, you just can't lose your shot like that, man. I'm like, I mean, he. The way he played last year, it make um Anthony Bennett look like Malcolm X, man. <laughs> it was strange because he didn't just lose his shot. He completely lost his confidence. Like, this kid was mm-hmm. super confident into the draft. And then it's like he got to the pros and they started working out and he started competing against pros. And and it seemed like he kind of froze up a little bit. He was he was just he, like he wasn't ready for the step up in competition. I don't know. And maybe uh, to me, more than anything, it's clearly like you said, it's a mental issue, and that's a hurdle he's got to get over. Because if he doesn't get over that hurdle, as good as Philly is, what's impressive is they're as good as they are. But what's disappointing is, what if Philly had a got it right when they drafted Okafor? What if they had a got it, folks? What if they had a got it? Noel, like think of the, like there's Simmons, there's Embiid, but look at the three guys that are borderline bus, right? Yeah, it's weird that they've still risen to where they are, but think about how good they would have been had they, they got it right on those picks. Now, folks, the, ju- the, the folks, the jury's still out, but when you look at what in what um, Noel became or didn't become. And Okafor is even a, a stranger story because it's not that he doesn't have talent. It's like suddenly his heart or lack of heart is, is keeping him back. It's like holding him back. Like he – I didn't think he was going to be in a roster this year. And then at the last minute, I guess, um, I think Michael Jordan threw him a lifeline. Uh, he, um, he's, he's, with, um, he's with the Pelicans. Oh, my bad. That's right. You know what? I was thinking about something. You're 100% right. That's right. He went to the Pelicans. You know what? And I'm rooting for that kid. I want Okafer to play well. I'm rooting for him. He's gonna be. It's going to be a struggle for him to find minutes, though, when you've got Davis, you've got Miritich, and now they have Julius Randle. He's going to have to fight hard to get minutes. Mm-hmm. You got to admit, though, had he gone to Charlotte, that would have been a Jordan move. Yeah. <laughs> or they um I'm surprised that Golden State didn't take a feel out for him, you know. We talked about that too. And I was looking at flaws in Golden State and I thought what they really were missing was another guy that could create off the dribble for them, give them another ball handler. Uh and I get it. 
if you can make a splash and go out and get a guy like DeMarcus Cousins, a big who can post, who can play uh, facing up, he can shoot the three, give you 11 rebounds, almost five assists. He's a complete player offensively. The problem is, A, he's not healthy, and no one knows when he will be 100%. My guess is when he returns to Golden State, if he returns, even then he won't be 100%. Two, when he was 100%, not a good defender. Mm-hmm. Not, not really fit what they do. They play at a much faster pace than what he's used to. And three, he's a guy that's used to getting 16, 17, 18 touches. That won't happen on Golden State. So he's going to have to adjust his game to do other things, set picks, get rebounds, be more competitive on defense. Good, good luck with that. <laughs> All I'll say but, is he have the ability to do those things I just said? He absolutely does. Will he? Uh, that remains to be seen. But it's, but it's funny, man, because, you know, after I, after I ranged off them three teams in the East, I mean, maybe you got Milwaukee, maybe you throw Washington in there. I think you have to throw Indiana in there, too. Um, I yeah, like- I'll, put it, I'll, put, I'll put Indiana in there. Mm-hmm. I like Oladipo. I like, and I, I think this is an underrated free agent acquisition, picking up Tyreek Evans. It gives yeah. them another guy to create, um, break down defenses, and Tyreek Evans is a much improved three-point shooter. So I think Indiana is going to be in the mix. The key will be is Miles Turner can make a jump in terms of his development. I thought he took a step backwards last year. The East, to me, when you get past the first three teams, even though I, I think Indiana is going to be pretty good, I don't know what Milwaukee is going to be. I know what, I know when you look at them, when you tell me, okay, so you've got Giannis, you've got Chris Middleton, you've got Eric Bledsoe, and you're still going to be a seventh or eighth seed. Something, something's wrong. Either it's a coaching thing, which obviously they address because now they have a new coach this season, or some of those guys at their core – they might have talent to take you to another level, but they don't have the will to take you to another level. Remember, if Giannis is the superstar that everybody thinks he is, and I think he's a talent, I think he's an all-star, I'm never quick to do the superstar, superstar thing. But I thought if you looked at that first-round series last year, I thought Al Horford played him even. Yeah. And I, you know, he – I thought Al Horford played him even, and he's known for his defense. I watched that series. He didn't play much of that. Maybe he was saving it for offense, but he didn't play much defense. <laughs> I, I, I guess my question with him is, people say you have to develop a three. I totally disagree with that. This is basketball. A three is not a must, but you do have to develop some type of perimeter game. You have to be able to hit a 15 or 16-foot jump shot. You You have to have some kind of perimeter game to make guys respect your ability to make shots or all they're going to do is back off you and give you eight or nine feet of space because you can't shoot and he's kind of got a similar proper similar problem to ben simmons he can't shoot for all his talent the guy can't shoot yeah and i i and don't know what type of is. 
I know what kind of talent he is. I know how hard he works, but I'm not sure he's a leader. Or uh, maybe the, or uh, maybe the offense shouldn't be run through him. Look, you can be the best all-around player on the team, but maybe for the team to be better, somebody else should be the leading scorer, like Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Middleton is one of the most underrated players in the entire NBA. Now, if you want to say addition by subtraction, in my opinion, you want to get better, get rid of Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> he's just like, not. He's, he's, he, you know, you have to talk about overrated players. He, Eric Bledsoe is one of the most overrated players in the NBA. People keep waiting for this guy to become a star, and he keep telling them it's never going to happen. Never. You, you know, everybody says, you know, when people talk about this person's not a a winning player, uh, I'm start, you know, I'm starting to believe Eric Bless, so it's just not a winning player. It's just not, something about him. It, it it is. And he's one of those guys though that when you look at measures in terms of quickness, athleticism, his ability to penetrate. He can even hit the mid-range to some degree. You think, this guy is going to be a star. Early in his career, he defended at a super high level. Now, you wouldn't know that because of the way Rozier was destroying him in the playoffs, but but he, he just seems to be one of those guys who has tons of talent, but he does just enough. You know what I'm saying? You know the kind of guys I'm talking about that they could take it up a notch, but they do just enough. He's, he's that guy. I, I don't think Milwaukee's gonna take a step forward or real or make a real run until they get rid of Eric Bledsoe. The truth of the matter is they thought they needed Eric Bledsoe when the guy they needed was already on their squad, but they get and I'm about Brogdon. I like Brogdon's game. He's not fancy or spectacular, but he's just a really good player. The guy can put it on the floor. He can shoot from the perimeter. He's a good defender, and he has zero ego. Get rid of Eric Bledsoe. Man, shoot. And after that, I said after that, they you know it's basically three spot three three slots open. I mean, maybe. Let me go ahead and cut you maybe. off on one thing. Detroit ain't going to the playoffs. All right. Yeah. <laughs> They wasn't in my mind. I was, oh my I was thinking, I was thinking maybe, maybe, maybe Miami have a, one more run in them, or maybe well, Cleveland gets slotted the eight spot. Or let me say something about Miami. A lot of people don't know this, but Miami, their their salaries. I'm talking about their salary cap. They're going to go into they're going to go into luxury tax this season. They have one of the highest paid rosters in the entire NBA, and all it's going to do is get them to step the race seat. You might want future, and I'm a big Pat Riley fan. You don't throw money at Deion Waiters and, and Joe <laughs> No. Just don't do that. You don't. You don't give white. Like they call him on Facebook, wrong side, all that money. <laughs> when he's only done really two good, he's only got a two year resume. But before that, remember, people were wondering why it, it took so long to draft him or whatever. 
it was never about Whiteside's talent. What most people will tell you is he has a low motor. He's lazy. Mm-hmm. He's one of those, and he's one of those dudes when he gets challenged, he gets down on himself. Last year in the playoffs, the Sixers, that was that was pretty embarrassing. That was pretty embarrassing. Well, the only reason somebody should watch the Heat this year is because it's Dwayne Wade's last season. And I respect a great player like that. And I want to see him play. And I hope he has a really good season. But in terms of what Miami's going to be, they're going to be an easy out. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as the Wizards go, look, Wall and Bill are fun to watch. I don't think Wall and Bill ultimately work together. In the bigger picture, they need to go separate ways. And add the mm-hmm. white, add the white Howard to that. I'm going to say this ahead of time. It makes me feel sorry for Dwight. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm putting it out right now. Remember this: the Withers went 43 and 39 last year and just got into the playoffs at the A spot. I'm betting that they have a better record this year, but people are going to be down on them, and somehow it's going to be Dwight's fault. Not not John Wall, the leader's fault, or Bradley Bills. Somehow, some way, it's going to be Dwight's fault. And he's going to put up, and he's going to put up decent numbers. He will if he if he can stay healthy. Dwight's going to average probably around fifteen points, thirteen rebounds, and around two blocks. And when they win, it'll be despite him. And when they lose, it will be all because of him. I mean, Dwight, Dwight went from being the most popular guy in the NBA to the guy that everybody loves to attack. <laughs> yeah, his, his, star, his star shot down, man. Uh, and it seemed like ever since he joined your team, well, he got, he never really joined the team, he was forced to go. He was traded to the Lakers, right? Which goes back to an old discussion that we had when we said beforehand it was a bad idea. And it was a bad idea because of White's personality along versus Kobe's personality. It was a bad idea because Dwight was never 100% healthy as a Laker. And that team that they constructed, that team on paper – would look good on a video game. But on a a basketball floor, it didn't make sense. And then you went and got Mike D'Antoni to coach that team. They want to play at a fast pace. What do you have the White House for? Mm -hmm. It it didn't make sense. And then when he went to Houston, I'm sure Dwight was like, all right, fresh start, me and James Harden, and what happens? They bring Mike D'Antoni there too. (laughs) Like a bad penny. <laughs> I think Dwight Howard can still be a productive player on a really good team. His biggest flaw is he can't, in his mind, he still thinks he's Dwight Howard, the guy that led the Magic to the finals, and he's just not that guy anymore. If he was smart, when he had that conversation with Golden State, 
he would have signed with Golden State because mm-hmm. he would guess play less minutes. Sure, his numbers would have came down, but he would have been effective in the time that he got on the floor. Look, JaVale McGee was effective in the Golden State system. I'm not knocking JaVale McGee, but come on. We know Dwight's like levels better than Even this version of Dwight is levels better than JaVale McGee. Yeah. Ah, man, shoot. But when you think about the West, what you think the um, the seeding be in the West? All right, well, let me start off with this. Let's assume that everybody can avoid major injury and everybody can stay healthy. With that said, if that can happen, then I think Golden State will have the number one seed. I think Houston will have the number two seed. I think the Lakers will either be the third or fourth seed. I think I think Utah or Denver will be the fourth or fifth seed. I don't know if New Orleans makes the playoffs. I don't know if San Antonio makes the playoffs. I know ESPN has Portland all the way out the playoffs. I'm not saying Portland's not going to make the playoffs, but I think, I, I can say this much. They're not going to be the third, third seed next year. I'm I'm just looking at the landscape, and I don't I don't see the Timberwolves making a big leap. I think the, the Spurs will take somewhat a step back. I think Utah had a really good run in the playoffs, but I just don't think they have enough firepower to be better than what they were last year. Even if Donovan Mitchell is the rest of those guys. They're not, they're not scores. I think Oklahoma City is the wild card because they could either be the third or fourth seed or they could be the eighth seed. It's funny because I ain't even got them making the playoffs, man. Oh, get OKC out of the playoffs. Interesting. I got them out the playoffs. I mean, they. I mean, they. They. I mean, they Bursley maybe got the same team. Well, they feel and their fans feel they got better. They got better by subtraction by getting rid of Mello. Um, and we'll see if that pans out. I think unless Russell Westbrook, who I'm a fan of, modifies his game, the same problems they had last year, they're going to have this year. Mm-hmm. You, you can add New Orleans Noel, and people are like, we get New Orleans Noel. I'm like, why? I don't know why anybody would be excited about that, but okay, you got New Orleans Noel. It's not like you I needed mean, a big man. You already had Steven Adams, so you just brought Noel in to back him up because obviously he's not going to be a starter. Mm-hmm. And I don't. And other than Paul George and Russ, who are the other guys on your roster that can create for themselves? I don't think anybody. Because you're going to have Robeson back on the team, and I mean, you basically you're basically going to be on um, on the court 
basically playing um two with on three non. You remember playing with three non scores? Yeah. Right. I was thinking the same thing, yeah. and everybody's like, when they get Roberson back, because the defensive numbers, that's when you fall in analytics love, and there's part of the flaw in analytics. Yes, Roberson on the floor makes them a better defensive team. He also makes them not as good offensively because he is a zero-range player. He can't shoot from any range other than a dunk, and sometimes he misses those. And you're going to have Steven Adams on the floor, who's a terrific offensive rebounder, great energy guy, plays defense, sets pick, but he's not really a fluid scorer, and they don't really go to him in the post like that. Most of his points just come off of activity. I, I thought that OKC in losing Melo or, or letting Melo go would try to make some kind of move to add more firepower, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. And that just means, in my mind, that just means Russ is like, I'll take those extra shots because I'm that kind of guy. I'm a team <laughs> player. Somebody's got to take those 10 shots Melo would take. So might as well be. <laughs> I'm just messing around. I, I'm a Russell Westbrook fan. But I, what I really want to see him do is I want to really see him max out his overall ability. He can play point guard, but I think for them to go to another level, he's got to learn to excel off the ball. He's got to learn to play without the ball in his hands. And that's something he's never done. And he I doesn't, think he's willing he to doesn't do. make the best late-game decisions. And long as they got – um. Billy Donovan is the coach. I, I don't think none, none of his game is going to change. Billy Donovan, Scott Brooks, same guy, better hair. That's all. Better <laughs> hair, more expensive suits, less jelly on his suits. <laughs> same, same guy. They have, they have the same system, that, which is really a non-system. They go out there, you put the ball in Russell Westbrook's hand, and Russell dictates what happens on the floor. He dribbles the air out of the ball, and whatever happens, happens. They don't run set plays. That's I've said this before. That's that's not coaching. That's just being a fan that's blessed with great seats. <laughs> and and when they had Durant, they was doing they was doing the same thing. It's just that they they took turns. Just to dribble out the ball and just um and score. They the did. only time that they only time that they was um they didn't have the ball in their hands, that's when they had James Harden. And here's the funny part. Nobody will remember this, or most fans won't. Harden was the best point guard on that team. Yeah. When Harden was in the game, the ball moved better. Amongst the amongst the entire offense, when Harden was in the game, it's one of the gifts that Harden has that a lot of people don't give him credit for. Yes, a lot of what he does is a part of this error and the way the game is played and the rule changes. But he's always had great court vision. He's always been a really good passer. I I thought bringing in Raymond Felton, they were going to take Russ more off ball, but that's not what happened. They brought in Felton. And when Felton and Russell are on the floor at the same time, they got Felton playing the two. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that at all. I think when you look at Portland, 
Portland is kind of in purgatory. When you have talents, when you have undersized guards that are incredible scoring talents, Lillard and McCullough are just good enough to get you in the playoffs. And I think Lillard, Lillard, Lillard is borderline a superstar. I don't have him quite a superstar, but he's right on the precipice of being a superstar. That said, if he's your best player, you know I've got this whole thing. And it's not, I'm not putting him down, but if he's your best player, you're not going to go in a deep playoff run. And I'm a Damian Lillard fan, but I think if, if Damian's going to be part of a team that goes in a deep playoff run, he's going to be the second best player, not the best player. Uh, so, if CJ McCullough is mean, part of a playoff run, he's going to be your third or fourth best player. That's just me. That's just how I see it. I say, shoot, when it's all said and done, Damian Lillard might be on your team. And he's more than by the trading (laughs) (laughs) See you later, Lonzo. See you later, Lonzo. Yeah, so he's going to sacrifice great fishing out in the Pacific Northwest or whatever. No, uh, no. (laughs) In all seriousness, look, like I said, I'm a big fan of Damian Lillard. But there are certain players, there's levels to this. I don't think Dame can be the best player on a friend, on a title winning team. That's not knocking him as a talent. I just think he has a different ceiling from some other stars, and and there are guys that are beneath him in that same same regard. We talk we talk about this all the time. In the bigger picture, if you switch Steph Curry out for Damian Lillard and they kept everybody else the same on Golden State, do you think Golden State would have still won those titles, or they would have been a lesser team? Oh, they still won. As long as they got Durant. Well, well, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the the part of the formula that a lot of people forget because they go, well, Steph's a two-time MVP. He is. Steph is a two-time MVP. He is the first unanimous MVP in the history of the NBA, and that's something that people should never forget. That's a feather in his cap. Having said that, he's still not the best player on his own team. That's just a fact. And, and there's nothing against Steph. If Kevin Durant went to Portland, Damian Lillard would be the – he'd be in his proper role, actually. He'd be the second-best player. Uh-huh. Maybe they can talk KD to coming out into Portland. <laughs> nah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, but we was the three seed. We said, but y'all played like the <laughs> Booyah. Yeah. That, yo, that was that was like one of the most vicious radio interviews I've ever heard. <laughs> he said, "He said, man, we was, we was the third seed, and we got a pretty good team." He, and, and Durant was like, "Come on, come on, man, you guys aren't winning nothing." <laughs> <laughs> he said, straight up with him, and, and McCullough's like, "No, we got a pretty good team, man. We got a chance." He's like, "No, no, you really don't have a chance." <laughs> and that seems jacked up. But but unless there's a rash of injuries in the West, that's a hundred percent true. You don't have to like it. <laughs> and now McCullough's been on this like rant wherever he gets interviewed, and he's saying crazy things like teams that are super teams they disgust me. You know, I would never go uh, to okay. super team because I, I wasn't raised that way. I never joined a super team or be part of a super team. If that's how you truly see things, CJ McCullough. You are never going to win a title. <laughs> <laughs> never. 
Because <laughs> let me tell you what's not going to happen. No top free agent, no superstar is coming to Portland voluntarily. No. No. So, for you to win a title, and this is more realistic, either you're getting traded or they're trading Dame. And if you get traded, you're probably going to get traded to a team where there's a couple of cats there better than you. So you will be on a super team. And you'll be in your proper role. Yeah. You listen to McCullough, and he's like, I go play for the Kings. I don't care. Like, yeah, I ain't. You ain't playing with no kids. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, don't don't say you wouldn't play for a super team or whatever. It it don't everybody recruit in the offseason? Don't you try to get guys with talent to come to your squad? Everybody recruits one way or another. So don't act like you didn't you didn't try to remember, was it the year before last that McCullough and Lillard tried to get Melo to come to Portland before he even thought about getting traded to um Houston? Remember that? Mm-hmm. So everybody's recruiting on some level, man. Don't have, don't have, uh, even in the interview with Durant, I heard, that, or it was another interview when McCullough implied that he wouldn't mind having cousins on his team, and then oh, it was the one with Durant because Durant said, "Oh, you want, you want, um, you want Boogie?" He said, "But don't you got Nurk? What about Nurk?" And he was like, "Oh, uh, you know, Merk Nurk's a good player. We like Nurk. I'm like that's just <laughs> that's messed up, fam. That's loyalty for you, CJ." <laughs> <laughs> he said, yeah, he had the backtrack. Nurk's good. Nurk's a good guy. Good player. <laughs> Goes on condom runs. Great hang. Yeah, that was, that was that was a messed up. That was a messed up comment. Look, it's a talent laden league, man. And if you live if you live in them small markets, you better draft really, really well. Yeah. And when you when you go after free agents, you better be able to find those diamond in the roughs that everybody else missed out on. You don't want to end up giving Evan Turner $45 million. <laughs> that is a waste of money. Isn't, isn't he or, still you on the team? Give, or you don't want to give Mushmouth $35 million. <laughs> you don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm excited about yeah. this. I know football is right around the corner, and instinctively, I want to be excited for football. But with all the things that are going on, there's something—I don't know—there's something in the air where I'm not as excited for football as I have been in past years. Like I wasn't excited last year, and I didn't watch. I didn't watch until the playoffs, honestly. And I, and I told you that. And I watched the Super Bowl and. I'll be honest, I only watched the Super Bowl to see the Patriots lose, and that was beautiful. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not that excited this year either. There's, it, it's like there's something about football. There's something. There's there's an aura about it that it doesn't feel right. There's I don't know. There's, there's just something lacking in it to where if I don't watch this year, I'm not going to lose any sleep. And I know there's a lot of my fellow Niner fans out there for people who don't know I'm a Niner fan, diehard Niner fan. And they're excited about Jimmy G and he, him bringing them back to respectability. And I, I want to be excited, but I don't know. There's something that just makes it, it, it almost feels wrong to be watching football. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Because you, because you sit there and knowing what they do in the, 
Kaepernick, and they know what they're doing to um, Eric Green, if they can get away with stuff like that, isn't that like the beginning? Or maybe they can start doing it in regular life. The regular yeah. people with the regular jobs. I think that's exactly what it feels like, that your your true value to the owners isn't much. You're you're very replaceable. And I'm not I'm not trying to say well Colin Kaepernick is one of the top five or ten quarterbacks in football. I'm not I'm not making that claim. What I am saying is in terms of talent or in terms of impact as a quarterback, he's better than the back half of those guys in the NFL. If there's thirty teams He's better than number 30 to number – I can guarantee you that, at least. Yeah. And he's better than every backup that's not named Nick Foles. I'm only giving Nick Foles credit because he had an incredible one-year run that made him the Super Bowl MVP. But up up until that point, Nick Foles had got tossed around like trash because I've heard people say, well, Colin Kaepernick lost his job to Blaine Gabbert. How many times did Nick Foles lose his job? before he came full circle back to the Eagles as a backup. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Wrap your minds around this. We've said this before. Alex Smith, very good player. But if you're being honest in what he is, Alex Smith is a very high-level game manager. You know who replaced him, who he lost his job to? And the 49ers ultimately went to the Super Bowl. He lost it to Kaepernick. A more athletic, yes. younger, stronger game manager. I mean, the, shoot. The so Alex Smith still got a job. He just he had a run with the Chiefs, but guess what? Eventually they realized like Alex has a ceiling. Everything you see in year one is gonna be what you see in year three. So now mm-hmm. he's on the Redskins. And he's gonna be solid for the Redskins, but they're not gonna go anywhere. And that's nothing against him. All I'm saying is to say that Kaepernick doesn't have the talent to play in the NFL as a backup or even as a backline starter in some of these bottom dweller teams who don't really have quarterbacks. That's disingenuous. That's not being honest. To say that Eric Reed is it not not just a serviceable safety, but he's actually a very good safety, and he can't get a job. Never mind as a starting safety, but who doesn't need depth? Eric Green, Eric Reed is a starting safety, but you could get him as your second safety. You could have Eric Reed on special teams or punt coverage. The, I just can't believe he can't get a job. That that just doesn't sit well with me. And maybe in simpler terms, it just it doesn't feel fair. Yeah. And so I'm mad yeah. about that. But you know what though? Didn't this didn't this colluding kind of start with like T.O. and Ocho Cinco? How so? Like, um, it's kind of tired of T.O.'s act. Then all of a sudden it was like nobody really wanted to, nobody really wanted to sign, sign him. 
Oh, I know what you're saying. Yeah, true. It's true. He was productive when he was on the Bengals. He was productive even when he was on the Bills, and they didn't have any quarterbacks. Uh huh. And I don't remember him being a problem in the locker room on the Bills at all. But I think when you build up a reputation, and, and he, like they said, if Teal was 25 years old. I think they would tolerate him more. When he was on the Bills, I think he was, what, 32, 33? Suddenly, you're not as tolerable. You know what I'm saying? Um, They throw you out. They throw you out like that. So, yeah, I know what you're saying. I I, I agree. He still could play. And they kind of pushed him out of the league um, because they had made up their mind. They were sick of his act. Or they were making – I guess the owners got together and just said, you know, you know, Terrell Owens is a clown or whatever. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. And maybe to Chad Johnson to a lesser degree, I think Chad kind of helped himself out doing some stupid things off the field. Something T.O. never does. Say what you want about him. He don't get in trouble. Uh-huh. But, but I think you make an interesting point. And I think that it's disappointing when you hear Elway try to imply that he offered Cap a job as if he offered him a job after the protest, when in fact he didn't offer him anything. He proposed a trade five months before he ever took a knee. And the only reason the trade didn't go through is (laughs) surprise, surprise cap didn't want to take a $5 million pay cut. Who does? He he wanted, he wanted cap to take a pay cut, but this off season, he signed Case Keenum to a two-year, $36 million deal. <laughs> tell me. Exactly. exactly. You tell me. <laughs> what, what has Case Keenum done other than he, he's, part of, he's part of the luckiest pass, one of the luckiest pass completions in playoff history? It wasn't like, it wasn't like he did some kind of like Aaron Rodgers pass on a rope. He threw the ball. It should have been clearly either intercepted or dude should have been tackled. And dude ducked his head and just straight whiffed. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> that, that, that Hail Mary get that dude $36 million. It must be nice. They lucky him. You think the Broncos are going somewhere this year? They're not. Mm. No. no, no. I mean, so I, I don't know. I, I'm still up in the air. You know, I know we're going through the preseason, and and I think as I've gotten older, the preseason for me isn't as fun as it used to be when I was younger. Now, when I look at the preseason, I don't really watch it. I just kind of glance at games or glance at scores because to me, the preseason is all about who doesn't get hurt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the way the injury, I mean, the injuries are just. They're insane now, and I'm I'm with the players, at least the veteran players. Why should they play preseason games? Unless you're a veteran that's on the bubble and you're on the verge of losing your job, uh, if you, unless you're one of those dudes, you shouldn't have to play in the preseason. It just don't make sense. Yeah, you see um, Big Ben got hurt in preseason. I saw that, and um, – 
didn't Barkley in your squad? I think he pulled his hamstring, but that was in practice, right? Uh-huh. I just think there's so many things, even though they're making the game, which is the most physical game, less physical, you still can get injuries. Right, look, they already play 16 games. There's no point in playing four exhibition games. Like I said, not unless you're a guy that's on the bubble. And obviously, if you're a rookie who's trying to find your place on the roster, yeah, you need to play because you have to show them you can play. But if I'm a proven veteran and I'm still playing at a high level, I'm my argument is don't you want me there for open, opening day? <laughs> so I'm chilling. You know what I'm saying? This has been a fun show. I was actually shocked that we finally got through. <laughs> so for everybody listening out there, this, this is actually our second episode. I still haven't been able to upload the first one. Working on that. But this is, this is actually our second episode on the Cypher. I've been promising people who have been listening to the show for the longest, I'm going to get H on. And then at some point, me and H are going to get Pac on. And at some point, Pac's going to bring in Dion Simeon of the Simeon Report. Um, and and we were just <laughs> and, we, and we're gonna just chop it up and talk sports, maybe even some hip hop music, a little bit of everything. We can even talk film, TV shows. We could we could have an hour long show, an hour long discussion on power by by itself. Yeah, we can have at least thirty minutes on Lala. So that's a whole different deal. Um, but no, on all, on all seriousness. Um, we're going to get the rest of the fellas on there with me and H. We'll do another show. The cool thing is H, so we can get a couple more shows in. <laughs> uh, I'm only putting it out there because I'm 100% sure your boss is in listen. Yeah. <laughs> so for me and H, this is the cypher. Next time. Bye. Peace. Hey, guys. Just to follow up, this is my list of the top 10 NBA role players all time. We kind of got into that discussion last night. H and I shared a little bit of our list, and then we got sidetracked and went into other debates. So just so you know, this is my top 10 all-time greatest role players. Number one, Robert Ory. Number two, Andre Iguodala. Number three, Michael Cooper. Number four, Derek Fisher. Number five, Ron Harper. I know it sounds like Laker bias. Number six, Steve Kerr. Number seven, Mario Ellie. Number eight, Bruce Bowen. Number nine, Danny Ainge. And number 10, Shane Battier. Bobby Jones just missed my list. Great player, great defender, but he was only part of one championship team, and that's why he didn't quite crack my top 10. Robert Ory is number one for obvious reasons. We all know this. Big Shot Bob, the seven championships, the over 253 pointers made in the playoffs. Andre Iguodala, what he's done in the last four seasons going to the finals, winning three of them and being the only guy to win finals MVP that never started in the regular season or in the playoffs. That makes him unique. Obviously, Michael Cooper, eight-time All-NBA defense and a clutch three-point shooter for the Showtime Lakers. Derek Fisher, not a pure shooter, but a clutch shooter. 
So those are just some of the reasons why some of the guys are at the top of my list. That's my top 10. Facebook fam, Anchor fam, and everybody out there listening, let me know what your top 10 greatest role players of all time is. It's the cipher. Next time.